All right. Welcome, Rochester. Welcome, the United States, to Let's Get Lit podcast. We are here today with one of my favorite authors that I had the opportunity to reach out to because I was reading one of his dope works, which is The Marathon Don't Stop, The Life and Times of Nipsey Hussle by none other than Rob Kenner. Let's, I just, I, I'm just so excited right now. You just don't even understand how excited I feel right now. So That's I'm, great. Well, thanks for inviting me to chat with you today. It's really nice to meet you over the internet. Yes. Um, I start off all my interviews this way. And I wanted to know, when did you fall in love with literacy? With literacy? Oh, my. Well, um, so I have been reading as long as I can remember. My family had a lot of books in the house and my dad was actually an English professor. So um, words were a part of our daily life. And, you know, I watched Electric Company and Sesame Street and all those shows from a young age. Um, but we also, you know, used to memorize poems and songs and you know all of that is literacy to me um you know it's, it's storytelling and putting words together so I guess I have been on this path of literacy my whole life and um I introduce you to my sister Lisa Kenner who is actually uh an educator she's been a principal and she now works with a program called Contextos which is all about um, empowering people who are behind bars to write their life stories and, and tell their stories. So, you know, I, I guess our whole family is into literacy. Wow, that's, that's like amazing. Because when I think about how and when I fell in love with literacy, um, mine came from a civil rights background and mm. just my dad and my grandfather, my grandmother, my my mom, always advocating for people and um, addressing various issues. And the vinyl that was at my Nana's house all the time, the music and the books that surrounded me all the time, it was just a liking that I just truly loved is how you can go so many places and tell so many stories um, and not even leave your space. So I think it's just very powerful. And when I heard mm -hmm. you talking about your sister and the work she did, it drew me right to um, Walter Dean Myers and the work that he did with so many young people. He wrote a book called Just Right because he went to go see so many young men in um, those situations that they asked him, well, how do I write? And he wrote that book just right. So I think that's just amazing what your sister is doing. I think it's amazing what you're doing. And I want to have a conversation with you about looking at literacy through the eyes of um, the late Nipsey Hussle. Mm. Um, and I say that because I took some time in preparation for today just listening to some of his interviews that he did from when he was young to when he was older and the mm -hmm. cadence that I heard throughout all of those interviews was the importance of A, knowing who you are, B, always being lit. And lit stands for liberating individuals through literary text. And one of the things uh -huh. 
that he kept echoing was about that liberation. If it's liberation from understanding how we going to switch this block up yep. to now where we once stood and sold our CDs out the back of cars to now we're owning the block. Now mm -hmm. we're transforming how people look at the block to how we, um, I loved in your book, how you educated people about what gangs started off as being yeah, and how they were uh, villainized and how they were pushed to become something different from what they were originally created. So yeah. could you tell us some? Some of that background? Yes. Yeah, that was an education for me as well. You know, I didn't um, get uh, fully up to speed on that until I really took on the challenge of, of you know, writing a book about Nipsey's life. Um, like most people in America, we've been kind of, you know, miseducated through the media and pop culture to believe stereotypes about what gang culture is all about. And, you know, there's been gangs in America um, since the very beginning, right? And some of those gangs come in different forms than what we are told is a gangsta, you know, in, in pop culture. But, you know, um, what I learned when I really did a deep dive was that during the process of, um, you know, uh, California becoming, first of all, you know, becoming part of America, right? Because California used to be part of Mexico. And then right. gradually it became American territory. And then as soon as there was a influx of African-Americans moving into California, um, which was during the war years when there were a lot of, um, you know, manufacturing jobs and there were a lot of factors why Black families were moving to California, um, but right away you had a, uh, a systematic effort to kind of limit where they could live, limit the places they could go, and um, you know the police were a part of that, and the real estate laws were a part of that. There were codes, and still are codes in the deeds to homes. The, what race of person was allowed to buy that? property and um what parts of the city map you know um families were allowed to live in so um one of the things that happened was there were white gangs uh that were seemed to be pretty cool with the police also and they had names like the spook hunters and they would actually harass families that did not uh look like them you know that were either trying to move into a different neighborhood or even you know black kids trying to go to school um there were so many stories of incidents between these white gangs and you know people who were just trying to live their life and eventually um as a kind of neighborhood protection uh you had groups that created a you know a a response to that so you had groups like the slossons and the businessmen and um that were not the gangs that we see in movies like boys in the hood you know this is mm -hmm. way before uh crips and bloods and and that it was really about neighborhood protection and 
over time there was a you know a long process of uh you know actually the police and the government um targeting some of these organizations and mm -hmm. uh you know it's a long story that leads through the black panther party and um you know there's uh, extensive footnotes in my book because i want people to be able to go do their own research and like discover for themselves what was you know happening in america because it really opened my eyes you know working on this book but there's a great documentary film called bastards of the party which was directed by a former member of the bloods um and produced by Antoine Fuqua, who's a, you know, very accomplished filmmaker. And that basically was an attempt by someone who had been through, you know, the horrors of gang violence and, you know, had lost so many of his friends and, uh, you know, seen so much pain, um, asking himself, how did it get like this? And what he learned and what this film uh, breaks down is that, um, you know, the Black Panther Party was actually um, infiltrated and overthrown by the mm -hmm. FBI and different government organizations because it was seen as a, a threat to the status quo. And, uh, you know, I tell a short version of that in the book, The Marathon Don't Stop, because I wanted to understand why would, um, you know, someone who is obviously very intelligent, you know, Nipsey Hussle's a genius level mind, you know, he was able mm -hmm. to build his own computer in school. He was a voracious reader. So he's not really the cliche of what we think of as a gang member when we, you know, watch a, a Hollywood movie or, you know, uh, if we allow pop culture to educate us about what gangs are all about. So in the bastards of the party it explains that you know after the panthers were uh basically shut down you know many of the leaders were assassinated um, mm -hmm. there was a lot of uh infiltration by a program called COINTELPRO. there's a lot of backstory to this but um eventually the the crips and the bloods were an attempt to kind of fill that void um at first and eventually as we saw, um, you know, those groups, I think it would be fair to say they lost their way. You know, they 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 went off mission and became more about, um, you know, neighborhood rivalries and, you know, got involved in the crack boom, which was, again, you know, the government did have a part to play in uh, Freeway Ricky Ross and crack. And, mm -hmm. you know, these, these stories have been told. They're not as well promoted as a lot of the narratives that we see on cable news and and in movies but um you know the, the like i said I've, I've been doing journalism you know my whole life and i have meticulous footnotes and research in the book so it's all based on facts but um yeah so i believe nipsey hustle um knew that history he was a reader he was uh, self-educated in a lot of ways and he i believe wanted to eventually return these gangs back to something closer to their original purpose mm -hmm. you know and uh, remind the organization that you know there was a gang called the slossons you know and uh, 
you know, from the Slossons came a young man named Bunchy Carter, who ended up being the head of the L.A. branch of the Black Panther Party. And although he was also assassinated, um, you know, he was a charismatic leader who would have had great potential to affect change if he had a chance to live. So, um, you know, Nipsey understood all that history. And I think he was very uh, intentional about the purpose that he saw, um, you know, in joining the the neighborhood, uh, you know, the gang in his neighborhood. And I think that's very powerful because when you you spoke about something that I think is um, aligned when you think about liberation, literacy, redlining. If you take mm-hmm. any redlining map and put it over any urban or larger suburban um, map, wherever you see poor pockets, that's where you see the poor schools, the poor neighborhoods. So it's all like, a purposed aligned experience like even now in Rochester there are still deeds that say you cannot sell to black people or even in Rochester you could go to certain schools and you could be like oh so you're at 33 school in the Crescent and the average um wage in the Crescent is like $18,000 so when you think about the average home making $18,000 a year that's purpose-driven poverty, purpose-driven failure. And that's something that Nipsey was working hard to change. He wanted to change how neighborhoods looked. That's why he started to redo like basketball courts where kids were, because all of that breeds the mind of liberation. Mm -hmm. When you play somewhere, you could talk. That's all about literacy. And one of the things I loved about him and what you highlighted was how intelligent he was. Yeah, without a doubt. That was, to me, that was like so powerful because he always spoke about what last book he read or what he gleaned from someone in a conversation. That's all about being lit. It's like he said in one of his interviews, if I can't get nothing from you, why am I listening to your music? If (laughs) I can't like gain anything from you to help me be better, why am I wasting my time sitting down talking to you? That's all about liberating because when you think about literacy, literacy, in my opinion, is one of the greatest social justice issues of our time right now Mm. because we have 6.2 million young people that are not literate 6.2 million is that is that true i didn't know that number yeah across the united states so Mm. when you think about generations and people like nipsey hustle or lebron james that really goes and pour like was literally pouring back into their communities That's huge because you think about what LeBron James did with his school, the I Promise School. I wanted wanted parents and children to have a place where they could come. They can learn while their children are learning. They could get food. They could get this. They could get bikes because these are things that I didn't get. Mm. Nipsey said, okay, I want to create, what was it, the Vector 21. I want to create... Um, a clothing store that is like an Apple store in the hood, though. I want to create all these opportunities. So it's not like, you know, um, he said in one interview where you're gazing at this greatness from afar. Yeah. I wanted my people to be able 
to come in spaces and learn how to be creative. Mm. And what do you think or how do you think that is important to literacy? Well, the thing that I loved about the way Nipsey promoted literacy and being lit, as you put it, is that it, it just felt real. It felt sincere because he actually cared about reading himself. It wasn't mm -hmm. like when you see a celebrity who's like trying to do a sort of PSA for a charity and they hold up a book and say, you know, read to your kid. It's important. Like they might mean well and, right. you know, that's a positive act, but you don't feel the passion that, you know, Nip was like passionate about books. Like he would, um, you know, there's stories of like in the airport, he would often be like almost missing a flight because he's in the bookshop in the in the airport. He's picked up something that's caught his attention and he's more interested in the jewels that he's going to get from that book in that moment than in catching this flight, which a lot of people, if you're in the airport, it's pressurized. You don't want to miss that flight. You know, right. Money for the ticket and you've got to be somewhere and there's, you know, but he would be so focused on those books. So um, a lot of people might have seen the reading lists that Nipsey uh, shared with his friends, which have now been, you know, shared on social media. And he read all kinds of books, you know, business books, uh, history mm -hmm. books, literature, he was a voracious reader and, you know, that started with his parents. He talked about mm -hmm. how, um, you know, when he was a kid, his mom always really pushed him to read. And uh, he went to an advanced school at a young age, um, you know, and he was a brilliant student. I, I was able to actually find some of the student writings that he did. He was a very creative writer as a, mm -hmm. a very young boy. Um, but he said, you know, if I wanted to go to the toy store, my mom might not always say yes. But if it was a book, if it was about getting knowledge, she would always find a way. So that started from the home. And he was very sincere when he talked about it. And really, some of his biggest breakthroughs as an artist and a businessman, he directly can cite which book he got the idea from. And it's one of the coolest things. Um you know, in the way that I think his legacy has promoted literacy, because, you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to be their own boss and start businesses and promote different products, not just rappers with mixtapes, you know, anything you could be selling cupcakes or, you know, uh, mowing lawns, whatever your business is, um, you know, you need to figure out how to market it, right. And uh, to be your own boss and own your own business. So, one of his biggest jewels came from a book called Contagious. And um, he actually mentions that word in some of his records. Um, the, uh, the song Blue Laces Part Two on Victory Lab. He says, you know, our culture is contagious. Um, the word contagious is the title of this book that he got the idea for one of his biggest breakthroughs, which was the uh, Proud to Pay campaign. Um, where he literally sold a mixtape for one hundred dollars, and mm -hmm. we're talking about a a a, a mixtape that was available for free on the internet. Uh, but he had the genius idea of 
selling a limited edition physical CD because at that time CDs were kind of on the way out and digital downloads and streaming were taking over. But he he knew that his fans had so much love for him and mm -hmm. he had built such a strong relationship with them that they would actually want to support him. They didn't just want to hear the music. They wanted to support his movement. And they gave he gave them the opportunity to do just that by buying this. Um, it was the Crenshaw mixtape. Uh, and when he did that, people thought he was crazy. You know, he announced it. There was a lot of people clowning him. He was disappointed uh, by some of the naysayers, but he was not dissuaded. And he stuck with his plan. And on that first night, they sold $100,000 of CDs um, at this pop-up shop in, in Hollywood. And 10,000 of those dollars were wired by Jay-Z. So he convinced uh, Jay-Z of his vision and uh, really you know, changed the rap game with that idea. Now that all came, that inspiration came from reading a book. Uh, it came from the book Contagious, which was a business study book. And the subtitle of Contagious is Why Things Catch On. It was written by someone named Jonah Berger. And the, the chapter that grabbed Nip's attention was about a, a Philly cheesesteak shop in Philadelphia which had the crazy idea of marketing what is really just street food. Maybe $5 is the average price for a cheesesteak in Philly. If you've ever been there, it's, you know, they're delicious, but they're not fancy. Um, and he read about a restaurant where they were selling a cheesesteak for a hundred dollars and they made it a kind of deluxe prestige thing. And you would sit at a table and get a little, you know, glass of champagne with it and, they put like fancy truffle oil and, you know, made it, made it special. But at first people were talking smack about it. And then eventually it became this cool thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It got people talking. And that's exactly what, as soon as he read that chapter, he said, I know what I'm going to do. And that was the breakthrough. So by reading this book about business, um, you know, he had what turned into much more than a million dollar idea because you know that hundred thousand dollars was just the first night and then they went on and did that same pop-up shop in different cities and um that proud to pay movement that he started uh went on after the crenshaw tape he did another proud to pay campaign around a, a second mixtape called mailbox money and those he sold for one thousand dollars each you know um so he was a real visionary and a lot of those visionary ideas came straight out of the books he was reading and i think that's powerful because i as you were talking it made me think about tupac mm, about yeah. when um when tupac was coming up and how smart he was and how he was a very well-read individual and because he was well-read it goes back to what you said about the home, which I put leads to the school, which leads to community. And that relationship with literacy has to be established, that foundation. And you look at, just like with Nipsey, you saw the same thing with Tupac about how his mother, even though how broken that relationship was at first, his mother still imparted the importance of his education. 
to him. Yeah. When you looked at all or listened to all of his interviews, um, just the intellect that he was, and even with his raps, the way he was able to intertwine or play double dutch uh, with different uh, pieces reminds me so much of Nipsey Hussle. And that was what many people feared. And not only did many people fear that genius, just like what you talked about in the book about how there are societal norms that will come and try to drown out your flame. And that's what happens whenever people feel, especially for a Black man to be conscious, aware, be lit, that in itself right there is like, okay, what they going to do? They're going to change the game in some way. What can we do to stop this? And when you think of it, it could be stop, like take your life stop. It could be stopped by getting you um, involved with certain situations, like how Tupac was wrapped up in that uh, situation and he ended up going to jail and then look who he ended up dealing with. It seems like whenever Black men become lit, for some reason, their lives are cut short. Mm, yeah. And I look at it from all of like Stokely Carmichael. I mean, you could, I mean, a list can go on and on and on about Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King. I mean, you could just reach back or reach forward and anybody that is truly lit and is truly trying to change the scope and sequence of America, especially in the urban environment, because he could have lifted up his whole enterprise and took it somewhere else in California. He could have taken it to a whole different state, but it was something about him and being a visionary. What liberation is going to do is going to first, with your relationship, encourage you to go back to the community or your Jerusalem and start there and start bringing about awareness and change and the things he was doing within the heart of his community was truly like legendary for our time no doubt you know and what are your thoughts when it comes to waking up our young people today to getting them to understand the importance of liberation literacy well, you made a really great point just a while ago when you said that, um, you know, the powers that be don't necessarily want people to be gaining knowledge and self-empowerment. I mean, literacy is really a path to freedom. And um, if you look at the history of, of America during slavery days, you know, there was actually laws to forbid teaching enslaved people to read and write. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, these laws were inspired by uh, the Nat Turner slave revolt. You know, that was when those laws started to happen. There was a fear that, wow, um, you know, the people that we've been enslaving and thought we could just treat as property and you know, brutalize them and not treat them as human beings um, might just rise up. They might not be cool with this treatment they're receiving. And one of the ways that, uh, you know, one of the solutions to this problem was to don't let them read, you know. So that alone should tell you how important it is to have access to knowledge. You know, literacy really is 
the pathway to freedom and, you know, knowledge of self and all of those things. Um, and, you know, today it's even harder, I think, than before the advent of technology, you know, to, to stop and sit down and read a book. You know, there's so many distractions. There's so many uh, forces that take our, our mind off of, uh, you know, it, it can seem really hard to sit still and, you know, read a, a page even of a book. Um, but I think even with TikTok and Instagram and all these distractions, it is even more important than ever to make time and space to, uh, you know, get that knowledge, get that literacy, get that, the keys to, to unlocking so many opportunities and so many uh, truths that are hidden from us. It's like I mentioned to you before, when I started researching this book, I wanted to write about Nipsey because I was fortunate enough to meet him um, very early in his career. And I knew he was a special person. Um, and, you know, during the interviews that I had with him, I learned so much and he would talk about books in, in those interviews sometimes. But when I really took on the challenge of telling his life story, I had to read, I had to, you know, talk to people that yeah. knew him, talk to people that lived, you know, a similar life as him, people in his family and people in his neighborhood. But also I had to read history and I learned so much. It, it really blew my mind. So I want other people to be able to go on that same journey as well. And, you know, um, start with a book that interests you, you know, even if it seems far-fetched that you're going to read a whole book, you don't have to read it in one sitting, but find a book that interests you. If you love Nipsey Hussle, look at his reading list. You know, it's, it's online. I hope you'll share it on your website, you know, so that people can take a look at, at the books that interested him. I mean, you could also pick up the marathon don't stop, which is, you know, a interesting story on a lot of levels. It's not only a biography of Nipsey, it's a history of America. It's a history of hip hop and absolutely um, gang culture and a lot of different elements. So, you know, I wanted this, this book to be the kind of book that someone would pick up who uh, was interested in Nipsey, but maybe they haven't read a whole lot of other books before, you know, um, I've had the pleasure of talking with so many book clubs and people uh, who even, you know, incarcerated people that have read the book and, um, you know, it, it never stops uh, humbling me every time I, I have these conversations just to think that this thing that I worked so hard to write for, you know, took about three years to write the book and, um, you know, with all the the effort and passion that I put into it, it really makes me feel great to know that people are taking the time to pick it up and read it. And I, I hope that um, people listening to our conversation will be inspired to pick up any book, you know, not just my own book. You don't have to buy the book. You can go to a library, uh, maybe in school libraries now and public libraries, but, you know, uh, by all means, get your hands on a book that inspires you and and get that knowledge from it you will 
never waste time by reading. You'll never regret spending time. You know, you could put down that video game console for one night and just pick up a book and you might be surprised at the things that um, that happen inside your brain, you know? And I think that's powerful because you said on, um, I think it was chapter um, on hood on page 77 for people that um, want to know what I'm reading from. So he said, um, despite his passion for music, Hermes was committed to academic achievement. Mm -hmm. He was always deep. Even him being younger than me remembers um, one of his friends was talking about how he was always like into major thinking. And it made mm. me think about a result of being lit. Yeah. When you truly understand the importance of liberation, my grandfather who recently passed away, he said, you know, once you unlock in your mind, uh, certain things when you learn things and it's opened and awakened the halls of your mind, that's something people can never take away from you. And that is what people fear is for you to be awakened and to be lit. And it was a shame like Tupac um, that now we're saying like Tupac, like Nipsey Hussle, um, two great men who were forward thinkers in their own rights but yet taken away so early. Yeah. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for taking your time out. It's just so crazy. It seems like when you're just getting into the rhythm of things, our time comes to an end. But I want to- uh, right. We could talk all day. All day. We, yeah. We're going to have to do this again. Yeah. Um, I wanted to close with a snippet from- Tupac's poem of Rose, the rose that grew from concrete, because it reminds me a lot of uh, Nipsey, of Tupac, of so many other African-American young men um, and women who are forced to do abnormal things, but yet beauty comes of it. Did you hear about that rose that grew from a crack in the concrete? Proving nature's laws wrong, it learned to walk without having feet. Funny, it seems, but by keeping its dreams, it learned to breathe fresh air. Long live the rose that grew from concrete when no one else even cared. Let's get lit.